0: Hi, welcome to the City View Phoenix podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. On the mountain, in the valley, in the crowded streets, or the empty desert, in our hope, and in our waiting, alone. God is with us. Man, I've been excited about starting this series, God With Us. As we Exit this three-year-long 2020 because um, is not. I don't know how many of you feel like 2020 has been like years upon years upon years. It feels like the longest years of my life in one year. But you know, God with us. That, that's such an important reminder and thing to know as we are in this year and as we get ready to exit this year. That God is with us. That He's never left us, left us. That He will not forsake us. And this idea of of God being with us. I was thinking about myself as a dad, and I, you know, I'm a dad of three kids, and My youngest son, Ezra, he is seven years old. He does not like to go downstairs in our house alone. He doesn't. He wants mom or dad to go with him, especially at nighttime. And so so there are some times where we're upstairs. We haven't wrapped up. We haven't closed down the downstairs yet, and, and lights are still on. Or we might have, like, shut them off, but we haven't put the dogs to bed. We have two dogs and you will we'll be like, Dad, just go down with me. I'm like, I don't want to go downstairs. Because um, these old bones, sometimes they just don't want to go downstairs. They want to just stay upstairs. And I go, take Fitz with you. Fitz is our dog. Now, he's just a little French bulldog. He's like that big. What will he protect you from? Absolutely nothing. But um, I go, just take Fitz. He goes, no, I want you to go with me. Because there's something about the presence of a mom or a dad to go with you, isn't there? There's just something about the presence of a parent that that brings safety, that brings security, that brings that assurance that it's going to be okay. And so in that, in this idea of God with us, I I see it even with me as a dad being with my son. In the Bible, before Jesus was born, God came to Joseph, Jesus' father. And he said, your wife or your soon-to-be wife, he wasn't married yet to Mary, is going to have a child. She's pregnant right now. Joseph's probably like, uh, "Not by me," because I know I'm pure. Purity first. That's Joseph, you know, and he's like, "Not by me." And God says, "No, it's by I. I did it. It's it's a, it's a miracle that I did it." And God made this promise to Joseph in Matthew chapter one, verse twenty-three. He says, "Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel." which means God with us. This was a promise that God made to Joseph and that God made to Mary, that God was with them, that their son means God with us. And this is a promise that we carry also today, that God is with us. Over the next few weeks, we're gonna be looking at the idea of God with us in the valley, God with us in the wilderness, God with us in the storms, And then on Christmas Eve, we are going to look at how God is with us always. Today we're going to be looking at God with us in the valleys, and and this week for me has been a valley, and of course that would be the kind of week I would have because I'm preaching on valleys. I'd have to walk through valleys of this week, and let me tell you, I'm going to complain to you guys if that's okay a little bit about my week, and I know for some of you I really have nothing to complain about, but I'm going to complain a little. I'm not going to complain. I'm going to share with you. I'm going to help you enter into my valley. So as a pastor, I also coach and mentor other pastors, and this week I got calls from pastors, pastors that are ready to quit. Quit, pastors that are ready to give up pastors that found out their wife was cheating on them and I'm trying to help these guys walk through and not give up not quit not stop doing what God had so has so called them to do that was my week I got called on those things I got called by other people other people here at the church where they're like we're getting divorced called from people saying I found out that my child has something very serious going on with them. The, these things, and then I got a call from my mom, and she said, hey, your grandma has cancer. That, that was my week. That's the valley, and I'm walking through this week trying to get through. Anybody have weeks like that ever where it's just like, where, where will this valley ever Stop. My wife and I, we went hiking Deems Hill. We, we go hiking, um, like, we go every Friday. That's sort of our routine. We go hiking, and then sometimes we'll go and get breakfast. Like Black Bear Diner, their grizzly. The Grizz, oh, it's three eggs, bacon, sausage, ham, pancakes. It's, it's a lot of food, and I, I don't share, um, if you're wondering. I usually say, no sausage, no ham. Can you just do all Bacon. Because no other meat is equal to bacon. I mean, if you're like, I don't eat meat. Okay. But so we're walking, Deems. It's seven thirty in the morning, and it was cold. And when you first start, I don't know if you, Deems, is over on Fifty Fifth Avenue in like uh, Happy Valley Road area. You have to go off Fifty Fifth, and you start, and you the first part of your walk is all in the shadows. It's cold. And sometimes life is like that. You're walking in the shadows. But you want to know what my wife and I did in the shadows? We ran. You know why we ran? Because the sun was right in front of us. And so we ran chasing the sun through the valley. Through this cold, and we're like, oh gosh, we just, we got to keep moving, we got to keep up our blood, blood flowing, but we know the sun is right around the corner. And you see, life is like that. We, we, you're going to have to walk through valleys in life. That's just part of life. You walk through valleys, but you know the sun is always right around the corner. He's right around the corner. God is always right around the corner. And so this week we're going to be looking at how do we walk in these valleys. You know, when we get to the top of the mountain, the top of the mountain you overlook, and I went and hiked, I also hiked Thunderbird this week. You get to the top of Thunderbird Mountain, you look, and you are envious of all the people that live in the really big houses around the lake. You're like, oh, that's nice for them. And you think they probably have no problems. Their lives are probably cake. I mean, they can go out on their boats every day. That's sort of what Thunderbird, so if you hike Thunderbird, that's what you do. You live in envy up on top of the mountain. No, I'm kidding. But you get up to the top, and it's so beautiful up at the top of the mountain, isn't it? You don't typically take pictures of the mountainside. You're not like, up. I was going to like, do this, even though there are some people who take pictures with their iPads. Any of you ever been at a graduation and somebody's like this? But you usually take a picture from the top. So here's, here's something I want us to know today. We enjoy God on the mountaintops. We do. But we get to know him intimately in the valleys, don't we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for this morning. God, I know that there are some people who are in the valley right now. Maybe they just entered it. Maybe they're going to enter it tomorrow, and maybe it's a dark valley. I don't know what kind of valley they're in, God, but, but they're in that valley now, and they need to know, God, that you're with them. They feel alone. They feel isolated. They feel cold. They feel, uh, they, uh, who knows, a litany of things, God. But, uh, Lord, may they feel... That you are with them. May they know that you're there. May they know that you've never that you will never leave them nor forsake them. And God, I ask that you would be very present in this room today. God, that you would encourage our hearts, God, and that you would give us the strength to walk through whatever it is we have this week, God. God, I thank you that you are a faithful God. And Lord, I pray for all the churches. Lord, I know so many pastors are just going through hard times right now. God, I just I, I just know it, being there, talking to them. God, Encourage your people, encourage your people, encourage those those people leading, and encourage your churches all throughout the valley, Lord. Today, God, I pray that there'd be revival in our city. God, speak to us at City View in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, "Amen." So, walking through valleys, this just a matter of life, isn't it? It just happens. You just can't get out of it. Walking through a valley is what you're going to do. There are valleys. There's lots of different kinds of valleys, but there's valleys. But how, how we walk in the valley is key. How you walk in and through that valley is key. You see, the truths we hold on to in the valleys will either help us grow in our faith or hide in our fear. If you walk in the valley knowing that God is with you, knowing that God is faithful, knowing that God is true, it's still scary to walk through the valley, but you can walk through it, right? But if you walk in the valley going, I am alone, if you walk in the valley going, God has left me, if you walk in the valley going, nobody cares about me, if you walk in the valley going, life stinks and everything is terrible and there is no God, if you walk in the valley like that, then that's why you're going to walk in fear, won't you? You see, the truths you walk into, because that might be the truth you hold, the truth you hold might be like, I'm alone. The truth you hold might be like, God doesn't care. The truth you hold might be, I don't know what the truth you hold. But if the truth you hold is that God is faithful, then you can walk in faith through that valley. It doesn't mean your valley won't be scary. It doesn't mean your valley won't be hard. It just means your truths you hold will help you get to the other side of the valley. You see, the truth I held when I walked through that valley of Deems Hill, Deems Mountain, whatever you call it, is I knew the sun was right around the corner. I knew that. I knew that truth. I knew all I had to do was keep moving, keep going forward. I knew it. I knew just once I got around this corner, because I'd walked it so many times, I knew the sun's right there. I just had to run a little harder, and running made me more, more tired. At the end, coming down, my legs are so heavy, but we got to the sun. So this morning, we're going to be looking at a different valley, a valley in the Bible where we meet a guy named David, and he walked into a valley called the Valley of Elah, where he walked into a valley where a fight was about to begin. First Samuel chapter 17 it's a story of maybe some of you have heard it it's a story of David and Goliath David is a young man and, and Goliath is this giant from this place called uh, from from uh, he was a Philistine and and David is getting ready to go there maybe you you maybe you've heard of this sort of idea of you have a Goliath in your life or or something like that and the story of David and Goliath is not just some bible some fun story that we tell kids but it's a true story that happened so it's found in First Samuel chapter 17, verse 1. And I'm going to tell you guys the story. I'm going to paint the scene for you. I'm not going to read every verse. I'm going to read certain parts. So we have this we have the on one side we have this this valley here called the Valley of Elah and we have two mountain sides and on one mountain we have the people of the, we have the Philistines on one mountain and then over here on the other mountain we have the people of Israel the people of God the people that God had chosen the people that God was leading and and, and in this they're they're yelling and they're fighting back and forth but all of a sudden from the armies of the Philistines walks out this guy named Goliath now from the mountainside from the crowd you couldn't really tell how much bigger or how much badder Goliath really was because everybody from the mountaintop looks like an ant but once they step out you can tell something's different about them and so all of a sudden out of this crowd this guy named Goliath walks out and he has this booming scary crazy voice and he says who shall fight me and the people of Israel over on the southern mountain, all of a sudden they realize that Goliath isn't just some guy that maybe has a bigger helmet than everybody else, but he's a literal giant. And Goliath walks out and he says he's, he's nine feet tall. From this stage, from the floor to where I am, I'm standing about eight feet tall. So if you can add a whole nother foot to me here, that's nine feet. Can you imagine running into a person nine feet tall? My chiropractor is seven foot two. When I stand next to him, I think he's huge. Goliath was two feet taller than him. Two feet taller than this man. And it tells us a little details about Goliath. It says that his armor, the armor he wore weighed 120 pounds. 120 pounds. There's some people in here, you weigh less than 120 pounds. And you imagine somebody wearing somebody 120 pounds. That would be insane. The average armor in those days weighed between 30 and 50 pounds was the average armor. Not only did his armor weigh 120 pounds, but it says that he carried a spear that was as tall as a man. The spearhead weighed 15 pounds. Who knows how much a gallon of water weighs? Eight pounds. Eight pounds. So that spearhead weighed two gallons of water worth minus one pound. If you're a math person and grading me. And this was not your normal giant. This was no BFG. Big friendly giant, if you didn't know. This was a big scary giant. This is a BSG I hadn't ran that through, him. I had to make sure it wasn't going to be some other bad thing. I said it before I thought it. It's not good to do that on stage. That's a big, scary giant. See, in the people of Israel, as they see this guy and hear him, there's this movie called Troy, and in in the movie, there's this guy named Ajax that walks out. That's this huge giant of a man that everybody's sort of scared of to fight, and that's sort of what I picture, this giant man comes out and he's taunting the people of Israel. And here's three things that I saw, what giants do in our lives, because we have giants in our lives too, don't we? And here's what giants do in our lives. When when all of a sudden God gets small or God becomes non-existent or we forget about him, here's what giants do. Giants distract us. They distract us from God and what God is about to do. Don't they? You see, the people of Israel, they had forgotten that they had a giant on their side. They had God. God had never left them. God had never forsaken them. But they forgot that God was still there, that they had a giant. But at some point in their life, they got distracted by a a literal giant in front of them. And I don't know what giants you have, because we all have giants. They could be physical. They could be marriage struggles. They could be financial. They could be a mental thing. They could be a a litany of things. But we all have giants in our lives, and they can distract us from who God is. But giants don't just distract us. Giants also discourage. They discourage us. What does this giant do? He comes out and he taunts them. He says, come on, one of you come and fight me. That'd be like me calling on Cody, saying, "Hey Cody, come on, let's fight." He's saying, "No, nobody wants to fight a giant." Be like fighting DK Metcalf, if you know anything about football. He's a giant of a man when it comes to football. I don't like him because he's on the Seahawks, but giants distract, giants discourage. This giant, he had nothing good to say. He's like, "Who are you guys?" Come on and fight me. Giants distract us. Giants discourage us from what God has done. And they keep us from moving. And giants also make us feel defeated. Before the battle is even fought. Before we even know what the outcome might be, giants can make you feel defeated before anything has even happened. How many of you ever walked into that story? How many of you ever walked in felt defeated before you even done anything? Anybody ever been there? Nothing. You haven't fought. You haven't figured it out. All you got was news. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't even know if it's true, but you got the news. You see, giants, they make us feel defeated, and they cause us to run in fear. And that's exactly what happens. You see, when we enter the valley without God as your focus, the giants may appear bigger than they really are. Did you get that? You ever see that on your rearview mirror? Objects may appear bigger than they really are or nearer or closer whatever it says. You see, when your focus is not God, when your filter is not God, your giants seem bigger than they really are. Because what happens is when God's not your focus, your other thing becomes a magnifier. Your distraction magnifies that giant and makes it seem way bigger than it ever needs to be. And so when Saul and all the people of Israel saw this, it says that in verse 11, when Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they were greatly dismayed. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. You see, valleys don't have to be defeating if we realize God is with us. They still might be scary, but God is with us. I'm sure the view for the people of Israel, when they're on the mountainside and they're looking at the other army, they're like, we could take them. But all of a sudden, when things start getting closer in view, we can easily get distracted, and that's what happens. You see, we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know Him intimately in the valley. And that's exactly what's about to happen for the people of Israel. They're about to get to experience God in a whole new way, a way they never thought would happen. So verse 12, we meet another character in the story. We meet a young man named David. And we don't know exactly how old he is. He's somewhere in the in the young teenager, might be somewhere between 13 17 years old. He's a young man. And at the time when we meet him, he's out shepherding his flock, his dad's flock, and we learn from his older brother in a couple verses that there's not many. It's not some great flock, it's not a flock of thousands upon thousands. It's a small business. His dad's running a small business, and his son David is taking care of the sheep. And, and so David is out tending his sheep, and his dad calls him and says, Hey, son, will you come here? I want you to go, and I want you to take some bread and some cheese, and I want you to go and find out and see how your brothers are. They've been, they've been fighting for a while. I'm sure that they're running out of food, and, and they could use some help. So David goes, and he runs to the battle. He goes, and he, he um, gets that bread. He loads up a cart full of bread and cheese, and he takes that to his brother's. And he finds out he gets to the camp and they're not there. And he finds out that they're down in the valley. So he goes. Here's a little side thing that I noticed. You never know where encouragement is going to come when it comes to God. You see, I-, I wonder if David's three brothers were discouraged, hungry, and felt alone. And then all of a sudden, David's dad said, hey, you know what? I'll bet your bros are hungry. They might need some bread and cheese. See, bread and cheese may not seem like anything important, but how many of you have ever been encouraged by something simple like bread and cheese in your life? A simple thing that you never even noticed. Maybe you even forgot it. You didn't even pay attention to it because it was just so basic. You found $5 on the ground. You found a gift card you forgot you had. And you're like, oh, that's cool. And then you go and you buy yourself a Starbucks. Or you go and you do something with the 5 bucks, And you didn't even realize that that was God saying, I got some bread and cheese for you. Cause that—that's all it is. This yes, last night. Uh, so I—I—I I, I told you about pastors and friends of mine. So not that I attract all these guys, but it's—it's it's a hard time to pastor churches right now. I'll be honest with you. It's just there's so much going on. And I got a t- uh, a friend of mine. He called me. Said Jeremiah, this is um, like a month ago. Hey, is there any way you can meet this week? Yeah. So we met. And he goes, dude, my pastor's resigning. I'm like whoa. So what's gonna happen? He goes, I think they're gonna. He goes, I'm gonna put my name in in the hat. See if. They'll let me pastor the church. And so before we even met, as we're talking, he goes, "Jeremiah, I know every time we meet, I'm always dumping my burdens on you. He goes, I have to do that again today. I'm like, okay. He goes, one of these days, I want to sit and hear how you're doing. But right now, I need you to hear how I'm doing. I'm like, okay. That's fine. That's just what I do. Today is the first day he takes over as the senior pastor of his church. So last night, and I went to bed early last night because I'm old. Um, like 8.45 or something like that. And as I'm getting ready to fall asleep, God reminds me, hey, Joe starts today. Was that me just remembering? Was that me? No, it was God putting bread in my mind. Say, hey, text him that you're on his side and that you're praying for him. So that's what I did. What was that? That was nothing, not a big deal. But that was, that was God saying, hey, send him some bread and cheese. And so I don't know if many of you, you're walking in the valleys, you're not even noticing that God's got bread and cheese coming your way. It's simple things. It's somebody that took you to lunch just to listen to you. It's somebody that's listening. It's somebody that texts you. It's, it's, it's a simple little thing that you got that you didn't even realize, but God's there for you. And that's how God is. So David is going into this valley with bread and cheese, but he doesn't realize that God's got so much more. And there, in, the, in this sermon, in, in this next set of verses, I, I want us to see three things that helped David walk in this valley. And that three things that are going to help us walk in the valleys of our life. And I noticed three things that set David apart when it came to walking in valleys. And the first thing that I noticed is when it came to valleys in David's life, he walked in obedience. His dad said, David, I want you to walk into the valley. His father. He trusted his father. His father. He had a purpose and a goal. I'm going to take bread and cheese. You see, some valleys that you walk in in life, they are because God is sending you right into the valley. And you're walking in obedience as you walk into the valley. It doesn't mean it's going to be fun, but you're walking into that valley in obedience. Some valleys you walk in because you're in sin. When you look at the Bible, there's seven key valleys in the Bible. I don't remember all of them. I don't even remember all their names. But I know one is you walk in it because it's, it's, a, it's a valley of sin. One, it's a valley of, of decision where God wants to help you make a decision. So it's in that valley that God's going to help you decide. There's the valley of battle. And the seventh one is there's the valley of victory. And then there's some other ones. If you want to know, I have the notes, but they're not in my notes. So I can tell you afterwards. But here's what I want you to know that's really cool. You see, the Father doesn't ask you to go somewhere he hasn't already been. You see, Jesse knew what the valley was like. Jesse's David's dad. And your Heavenly Father knows what your valleys are like. And your Heavenly Father, He's not asking you to go into a valley that He hasn't already been. And he's not asking you to walk into a valley that he's not already going to walk it with you. That's your heavenly father. Walking with you in a valley. And so as David got to this valley, he realized his brothers aren't there. And all of a sudden, in front of him, as he's standing there on the side, as he's talking to his brothers, this guy named Goliath comes out. And he starts yelling at the people of Israel. And he starts taunting and scaring them. And he says... It says this in verse 23 and he was talking with them David behold the champion the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines and he spoke these words and David heard them when all Israel saw the man that they when they all saw the man they fled from him and were greatly afraid and the men of Israel said have you seen this man who is coming up surely he is coming up to defy Israel and it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches, and will give his daughter, uh, will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free, meaning he doesn't have to pay taxes. And then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, what will be done? So tell me again, what do you get if you kill this guy? And look at what David says. Here's what we, you start to see that David's different than everybody else. You start to see that David, as he's walking in obedience, he's also, the second thing is he's walking in faith. He walks in faith. He says, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? You see, that's that's what set David apart. He had a faith going, okay, why why are we listening to this guy who's taunting the armies of the living God? The people answered him according to the word saying, thus it shall be done. And they said again, hey, you're going to get money and you're going to get enough to pay taxes. You get a daughter. And then all of a sudden, the distraction comes. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, because older brothers, they can be killjoys. They can be. Older brothers see reality and so much in life. Your younger brother has this dream of going and killing a giant. And you say, you're 13 years old. You can't do that. That's what older brothers can do. They can just be Debbie Downers. If your name is Debbie, nothing against you. And they could be so negative. And all of a sudden, Eliab says, who are you, little bro? How many of you have ever been distracted, discouraged by somebody close to you in life? They kept you from going. And that's what happens. Maybe not always older brothers. Maybe it could be a boss or somebody or a parent that just seems to always shoot down every idea. And I wonder if that's what the devil was trying to do. I wonder if the devil was trying to discourage David so that he would not walk in faith. And the devil was using somebody close to him to distract and discourage him. And I wonder if the devil was trying to cause Eliab to be a giant in David's life. But I love this. But David said, what have I done? Because that's what little brothers do. They're like, why are you picking on me? That's what little brothers do. They might be annoying. And I don't know if David's being annoying here, but he seems, it, Eliab's annoyed with him. But David said, what have I done? What, was it not just a question? And then he turned away and he asked again the third time. He said, so what do you get? And I don't really know why he keeps asking. I think he's trying to get people to think. And all of a sudden it says in verse 31, when the words which David spoke were heard, they were were told then to Saul, the king, and he sent for David. And David said to Saul, look, he says, let no man's heart fail on account of him your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And then Saul said to David, you are not able to fight against this Philistine, to fight with him, for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. And then David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion and a bear came out, or, or a bear and took that lamb from the flock. And I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. How many of you saw that video, that story of the man who took the, the his little puppy out of the, the mouth of a of an alligator anybody see that story you hear about that i mean that's rad he just take straight up like crocodile dundee and opens that guy's mouth i know i aged myself a little bit or show my age but he straight up opens that mouth this little puppy runs away man and i would just been i don't that would have been disgusting but david says i did that to a bear and to a lion he says, and your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted. See, you again, you see the faith he has in God, since you have taunted the armies of the living God. You see, David knew who was on his side. David knew who was with him. David knew who he was trusting. He knew, I am with the armies of God. He says, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear. He will deliver me from the paw of this Philistine too. And then Saul said, May the Lord be with you. And then Saul said, But David, before you go, I I want you to try on my armor. Now, Saul was not like everybody else in the kingdom of Israel. We learn earlier on in 1 Samuel that Saul actually stood head and shoulders, taller than everybody else. So that means if, if the average height of a person in Israel was 5'8", Saul stood a foot taller than everybody else. I mean, Saul stood close to 6'8". Saul's like LeBron James over everybody else. This tall, strong person. Yet, he also lived in fear. Because Saul didn't know how big his God was. Here's the second thing we know about David. We know that one, he walked in obedience. Two, we know that he walked in faith. He knew his God was bigger than any giant. He remembered what God had done for him. He remembered the past giants in his valleys. He remembered the lions and the bears. And this giant was no different to him. This giant was no different than a lion. This giant was no different than a bear. Do you see David's faith? Verse 26, he says, For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Verse 32, And David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him. As I was reading this morning and just looking over my notes one last time, I thought, man, I wonder how many of us have a hymn in our life. Let no man's heart fail on account of him. It, It could be an it. But I wonder what causes our hearts to fail and our hearts to faint. When all of a sudden that person walks in that room, when all of a sudden we get that text, when all of a sudden we we hear that news, you get that email. I don't know what is it for you that all of a sudden like like for the people of Israel, let no man's heart faint or let no man's heart fail on account of him. For some reason, anytime this name Goliath, or they said giant, everybody's attitudes went, Oh. What is it for you? I, I and I circled the word him and I said, what is my hymn? What is it that when I hear it or when I get it texted or whatever it might be what what is it that makes my heart faint or my heart weak, or all of a sudden me feel sort of discouraged and distracted? What is it for me but You see David says I don't want my people's hearts to faint because God's bigger. Verse 36, since he has taunted the armies, remember again, he says, the living God. And then David said in verse 37, the Lord who will, who delivered me, he will deliver me again from this Philistine. And here's what happens: when you walk in faith, your faith becomes contagious. Your faith becomes contagious. Because then what does Saul say to him? Saul says, Go and may the Lord be what? With you. Because all of a sudden, Saul's faith got shook. You see, David walked in faith, and that's what set him apart. That's how he was able to walk into valleys. David walks in a lot of valleys in life, and we're going to walk in valleys. Valleys are part of life. You've got to live it. You've got to be in the valley. We live in the valley. Valleys are just what we do, but it's who you believe in and how you're going to get through them. You see, David kept his focus on the God who fought for him in other valleys. David kept his faith on the God who protected him in other valleys. David kept his faith on the God who he knew was with him. You see, David's faith is what helped him get through every valley. Valleys may look different, but valleys are all the same, aren't they? They're just a valley, and there's a way to get out. When I walked in Deems this week, when we were walking, we, but Laramie and I knew, the sun was just right around the corner. We knew it. Why? Because we had walked it before. It didn't change how cold it was. It was cold. Seven thirty in the morning, in in the shade, on a mountain. It's cold, and I don't wear leggings. I know some dudes do. I can't. If you do, that's 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 awesome for you somehow. Um, and, and my wife's like, "How are you hiking in shorts?" I'm like, "Cause she was." I should buy you some leggings. I'm like, "No, you should, should never buy a guy leggings. And if you wear those, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just judging you." Um, <clears throat> but you see, we knew even though it was cold, even though it was dark, we knew the sun was right around the corner. You see, in David's faith, he knew. He knew God had not left him in that valley. See, valleys aren't always fun, but it's in the valley that most things grow, isn't it? You see, when you, when you go hiking and you see the big mountains, do you see big trees at the top? No, usually it's, it's just very small brush, isn't it? But what grows? Where do things grow the most? They grow the most in the fertile land of the valley. That's where things grow. And so valleys aren't always fun, but you grow in the valleys. We may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we will get to know him intimately in the valleys. And so David, he goes, and Saul's trying to get him to wear the shield and take his sword. And David's like, man, I don't know that stuff. I can't wear that. That's just not me. And so David goes, in and he takes his staff, this stick, and he takes a, a, a sling, with this, this piece of leather with five stones, and he runs into the valley. And it says, in verse 40, it says, And he took his stick in his hand, and he chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook, and he put them in his shepherd's bag, which he had on his pouch, and his sling in his hand, and approached the Philistine. And when the Philistine came on, he approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. Remember, he's got a javelin in one hand, a spear in the other, his sword in front of him, and then he's got a shield-bearer. you got to think, Goliath's shield has got to be as big as a man. Goliath is nine feet tall. Remember that. He's not some small giant. He's not a friendly giant. He's a scary big, bad, nasty giant. Nobody wants to fight this guy. I'm sure that people have won many bets on this guy, and they know he's the winner. And I'm sure there's a lot of money on this guy, especially when they see David. And it says, when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. He was ruddy with handsome appearance. Ruddy means redhead, freckles, tan skin, Picture me. Um, So that's what he looked like, ready with handsome appearance. I swear I'm reading my story right here. And then the Philistine said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David and by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. That's scary. Words can be scary, can't they? But we've all seen the movie. The bully with the scariest words, they usually fall pretty fast with one punch, don't they? you all seen the movie. You watch Captain America. He was little for a moment. But you go and get that Holy Spirit juice shoved into you. You could take on any giant. You see, once the Holy Spirit is in you, there's no giant that's too big. Because your God can never be too small, and so this giant, he's yelling these words, and these. So I, I just would love to see David. I don't know about you, but can, can you picture? Are you able to enter a story? Do you have an imagination? For you know, I, and I, I know we're, we can be all people, not whether Santa Claus or not, whether you're Elf on the Shelf or not, and all those things. But I love to let my son's imagination go. My imagination goes. Your imagination can help you see things that others can't. So try, if you can, enter into the story and picture this nine-foot man and picture a 13-year-old kid. Okay? He's holding a stick that's a little taller than him. And he's running, and you've got this big, bad, scary man yelling at you. And David, I just picture him sort of grinning. That's what I picture. Because that's what 13-year-olds do when you yell at them. They just grin. They're punks. They don't feel bad. They don't care. They're just like... That's just what they do, and they just grin. I can see some of you 13, 14-year-olds right now. It's what you're doing. This is what you do. You live with that grin unless you're grumpy because some girl didn't text you, but either way. And so I picture David, this punk little kid, running out there with his sling and his staff, Goliath yelling at him. He doesn't hear it because he's got his earbuds in, and he's listening to whatever he's listening to because he hears God, and then David says to the Philistine, you come at me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. Not just a sword. A sword, a spear, and a javelin. Come on, that's not fair. That's like the Denver Broncos going without a quarterback. It's like, you come at us with this, and we have a wide receiver as our quarterback. I mean, that's that's the situation. He says, but I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And he says, he's helping the people of Israel realize you've got a giant on your side, and you've forgotten I come at you with the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down, and I'm going to chop your head off, and I will give the dead bodies of your army, the Philistines, this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the air, and that the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all the assembly, that they may know. That your people, that these people behind me, that they might remember that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. And so he yells that, and then all of a sudden they start running at each other. And Goliath is sort of running like this. I'm gonna show you. I, I picture Goliath like. Sort of like Andre the Giant, you know, and David just the sprinter, this little. I don't picture David being this tall guy. I picture him being little. And he's just sprinting, running with his arms tight, his staff in one hand. He's got a sling. and You've seen those movies where the guy's riding on the horse and he shoots at the guy. And you're like, that's not possible. Somehow David is a good shot even while he's running. And he's running with the sling in his hand. He's swinging and he's swinging and he's swinging it, and he lets it go. Have any of you ever tried to do a sling of David and Goliath in your backyard? It's okay if you have. I have. I I haven't figured it out yet. I also don't have a leather sling like him. let it go, and it whizzes through the air. When I was in 10th grade, I I wrote a story as if I was the stone, and I felt worthless. But then God called me to be the stone that killed the giant. So that stone whizzes in the air, and I love hearing kids play. Someone whizzes in the air, nails Goliath on the head, but it doesn't kill Goliath. It just knocks him out. What kills Goliath? David goes and grabs the sword of the enemy, and he chops his head off. Bam! And then what does David do with that head? He picks the head up. Now remember, he's a giant. Can you imagine how much his head weighed? Maybe your imagination didn't go there. It's heavy. We we just watched Mulan, the new one, and how they have to carry those water buckets up the mountain. I picture Goliath's head, the size of one of those, like a five gallon bucket. And David's running around, that's his trophy saying, God, my God has killed the giant. You see, here's the third thing I see about David. David, one, he walked in that valley with obedience. He walked in the valley, two, with faith. Number three, he walked walked that valley in victory. He went forward to attack that giant. He had to enter the valley, though. He couldn't get around it. He couldn't do it from the top. He had to do it in the valley. The victory had to be won in the valley. The victory had to be won in that dark place. The victory couldn't be won from the mountaintop. The victory had to be won in the shadows of the valley. So you may be in a valley, but your victory will be won in the valley. That's where God will meet you, in that valley. It is in the valley that your victory is won for David, even though he felt, I'm sure, scared, even though there are parts of him. But he's like, but my God is bigger. He said, and we see that here, but I come to you in the name of the Lord, the God of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. And this day, he's going to deliver you. You see, their enemy, that enemy was ruthless, that enemy was a liar, and that enemy was, he was gonna fight. And the enemy doesn't fight fair, but David knew who was on his side, and David knew who was with him. You see, David spoke the truth to combat the lies of the enemy. We see this in Jesus too. When the enemy lied to Jesus, Jesus spoke the truth. David entered the valley. Not in his strength, but in God's strength. He says, I come to you in the name of God. The Lord will deliver, that all the earth will see God. And he says, and God is going to give me the victory. How do we get to this place so that we could walk into the valley like David? Because how many of you look going, I don't know if I could do that? I'm scared of the giants in my valley. And your giant could be anything. We all have different giants, and I don't know. I don't know what your giant is. You, picture, you paint your giant. You picture your giant. You name your giant. Not all giants have people names. Some giants are, are a job. Some giants are a bill. Some giants are, are a person. I don't know what your giant is. But how can we walk in faith like David as he walked into this valley, what what made, what set David apart? How was he able to walk with such confidence and assurance? You know, you, you see a lot of David, you see a lot of his heart when you read through the Psalms. Those are his journals. And we have those journal entries. How many of you have journals? If somebody were to read some of your journal entries, they'd probably be like, Are you okay? see, David had a journal, and we get to see his journal entries. And I think we know how he's able to walk in this valley with such faith when you read Psalm 23. So if you have a Bible right now, open it and read it. Or if you don't, it's going to be right here. And it says this, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. You see, David got shepherds. He was a shepherd. We don't live in a time of shepherds. If you go to other countries, you can see them, but we don't see that much. A shepherd was somebody who provided, who protected, who was there for the sheep. A a shepherd was somebody who could fight off lions and bears, who led them to places that was safe. And he says, God, you're my shepherd. I shall not want. God, you make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside quiet waters. God, you restore my soul. You see, when you walk into a valley knowing that, God, you're my shepherd, I shall not want. God, you're going to make me lie down in green pastures, even though it might be scary in this valley. You're going to give me a green pasture. God, even though it's scary in this valley, you're going to lead me beside quiet waters. You're going to restore my soul. You see, your soul can still, still be restored in a valley. He says, you guide me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. When you look at David, he's always pointing to God. He says, in God's name, and that God might be glorified, that God might receive the victory. He, we, how do we know he got his strength? Well, when you read Psalm, he says, for your name's sake. Because, God, it's all about you. You're always with me. And then I love verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you're going to walk through it. And some valleys are shadows and death. That's just the reality of a valley. He says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I wonder if he got this from this one. He's like, Okay, God. And I wonder if this came after. I don't really know. I wonder if Goliath was shadow and death. Or I wonder if he remembered this and that's what made him walk through it. He goes, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Then what does it say? For you are, what does it say? For you are, it says for you are, for you are. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil my cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, David knew that even in the valleys, God was with him. But one thing is true. He had to walk through the valley. That stinks, doesn't it? But God was with him. He couldn't go around the valley. He couldn't go over the valley. He had to walk through it. But he walked through it with obedience he walked through it in faith and he walked through it in victory. Knowing that God was with him. So we too can walk in this valley. We can walk in this valley in obedience, saying, okay, God, you I'm just gonna live my life following you. We can walk through this valley in faith. Okay, God, I'm gonna trust you. You're you're a big God. God, I'm going to walk in this valley in victory because in the end, neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall ever be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We can know that. That's Hebrews chapter, Romans chapter 12, verse 30 something. You see, when we walk through these valleys with God, there's no giant too big. There's no valley too scary that God's not going to say, I can't come. You see, we enjoy God on the mountaintops, and I love mountaintop experience. But we get to know Him so intimately in the valleys. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I don't know what valleys we're walking in now. But God, I thank you that you are with us. Lord, I thank you that you guide us in the valleys. Lord, that you go before us, you go behind us, and you walk with us. Lord, maybe there's some of us right now that we're walking in this valley by ourselves. And That's what's making it so hard Because we don't have a faith in you Because valleys are part of life Whether we believe in God or not But valleys are easier When God is with you And if that's you right now If you're sitting in here Maybe you're invited Maybe you've been coming And you've, you've never put your faith in God and, and you've seen these people walk through valleys yet with boldness and courage and you wonder how it's because God is with us maybe you're sitting here now and you want to know God is with you well God wants to be with you he wants to be your savior and your shepherd he wants to be your love your creator and your God who holds all things together and if that's you if you want to put your faith in him today I ask that you pray with me Say, dear God, I want you to be with me. I believe that your son Jesus died on a cross for me. And I believe that he rose again three days later and conquered death. God, I ask that you'd forgive me. I ask that you'd set me free. God, I ask that you'd help me to live for you. In Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are with us in the valleys. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, check out our website at cityviewphx.com or download the CityU app on the App Store.